the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Friday edition. And here we're here, we're here on this radio show to take your Bible questions, questions about uh, the Word of God, how to put it into practice in your life, questions about Jesus, questions about who He is, and um, what the Bible says about salvation. Uh, we're here to help you put the Word of God into practice so that it becomes real so that you can grow deeper in your faith. And here's the goal. We want you to know your Bibles and fall in love with your Bibles so that you'll fall in love with Jesus. And that's why we're here. So since this is a live show to take your questions on the air, let me give you the phone numbers. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We have an email address if you want to submit questions that way, and it's questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. We also have the church app. Uh, Our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio church app allows you to submit questions that way. It'll it'll go directly into our inbox, so you can use that. There's also the KSLR app. You can use this if you're in your car, listening while you're driving, and you can hit the call now button at the top, and it'll connect you right to the studio. You can ask your question on the air. Oh Well, as you can tell, Pastor Ron is not here again, so I'm filling in. As I have been this week, our show still continues. As usual, please keep him in your prayers. He is on the road to feeling better, recovering from his sickness, but he greatly appreciates the radio listening audience praying for him. Both he and Paula send their love, and they miss you dearly. Friday here at Calvary Chapel, quick note, it is our New Testament study night, and so that will continue as usual here tonight, 7 o'clock in the sanctuary. We have Pastor Ed Rodriguez, who is teaching tonight, I believe, out of the Book of Romans. And so, since Pastor Ron is not here, he'll be filling in 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. One more quick uh, scheduling note. For those that uh, participate in our pastor's class, not, not, not a whole bunch from the radio listening audience, but if you happen to be listening in the pastor's class here at Calvary Chapel is something you normally participate in. Uh, Tomorrow is our regularly scheduled pastor's class, and that will uh, be canceled. It'll be canceled tomorrow, so no pastor's class. Prayer is still on, 9.30. Okay, well, before we go into our questions that are submitted via email, let's go to our phone lines. Matthew from Cibolo, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. How you doing? Hi, Matthew. I'm doing well. It's good to hear your voice. 
Yes, likewise. Um, I, I had my 10-year-old in the car with me. I uh, got off work a little early, so uh taking him to go get a haircut. But anyways, we've been uh, reading a lot about faith this week, and he wanted me to ask you, what are your thoughts about faith? Oh, what a great... What a great question, Matthew. And I'm, I'm, I love the, the picture you describe of taking your son to go get a haircut. Um, I could say with a little bit of jealousy, too, on my part. But, Matthew, let me answer the question. Faith is it's the lifeblood of our walk with Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible is very clear, and there's lots of things that the Bible says about faith. It is essential to our salvation, but it's also a daily essential in walking with Jesus. And <clears throat> without faith, we can't please God. This is what Paul writes in the book of Hebrews. It's impossible to please God without faith. And faith is the substance of things unseen. And this is important because when Paul writes that we walk by faith, not by sight, it means that the way we live our lives on a daily basis has to be by trusting in God. That's all faith means. You trust God even more than what your um, common sense and your senses tell you. You know, our world around us is described to attract all of our attention. There's so much information that at our fingertips, and, and there's so many people around us that have opinions. But faith, true faith, in Jesus Christ says, Lord, I am setting all those things aside, and I'm listening to you. And I'm going to trust whatever you say, believe it, and obey. And this is important, because when Paul writes that that we should walk by faith, he's not describing a one-time faith that we demonstrate to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That, from Ephesians chapter 2, that gift, faith, is not of ourselves. It's from God. And so God gives us a faith to believe in Jesus Christ for justification. This is a moment in time, sometime when we first believed in Jesus. But he also gives us a living faith. Peter describes this as a daily life that's constantly trusting in the Lord. So, uh, Matthew, God bless you. This is a wonderful question, a wonderful conversation to have with your son. And I hope you have a great haircut. <laughs> Thank you for your call, Matthew. Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. You've got Jimmy from San Antonio. You're on the air. Yeah. I was going to say Pastor Ron, Pastor Ken. Hi, Jimmy. Hi. Um, I was uh, watching The Chosen the other night. I was watching it again, and I saw this part where Jesus was talking to the people on the, on the shore, and he was talking about the fish, right, the, the miracle he did for uh, Peter. And uh, and then he told people about this how uh, how they catch all this fish and then they'll take it to the shore and they'll separate the good fish from the bad fish. So I said, well, I want to check if this is biblical or not, right? So I looked it up, and it is biblical. It's Matthew thirteen forty eight fifty, right? That's correct. It, yeah, it's so it was like uh, so the guy who's so anyway. <laughs> And I was amazed to see that. That means that he's even talking about it that in the in the in there's going to come a time where God's going to separate the uh, good fish from the bad fish. He's talking about us, talking about people. Correct. That's absolutely right. Remember when Jesus calls Peter, but really it's it's the disciples. Their their primary form of commerce was to fish. So, but Jesus turned around and said, but I'm going to make you fishers of men to draw all men unto him. And you're, you're absolutely right. Our job when it comes to fishing for men, if you want to call it that, is, is, is not to 
so much uh, cast uh, or catch as many fish as we can, but our job is to cast our nets. Remember there um, in Mark's gospel early on when they were there on the shore and Jesus would call the disciples, uh, some were mending the nets and some were casting their nets. And, And this is important because our job is to simply proclaim the message, throw the message out there. In, in Mark's gospel there in chapter 4, uh, this is illustrated us to us through the parable of the sower. And our job is to throw out the seed, the seed of God's word. Well, in the same way, you know, we, we can't get so caught up in <clears throat> separating the fish or cleaning the fish. That's all the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to cast our nets and then uh, let the Lord catch as many fish as he can. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love that illustration, though. Isn't it cool? Now, yes, that there's there's all kinds of fish out there, and the the number of fish I think it was 153 that Peter caught. It's overwhelming amount of fish in that specific uh, story, but it just shows that it is the Holy Spirit is the one that catches the fish. Our our job is just to be faithful to mend our nets and to cast them. Okay. That's, that makes sense. Yeah. Jimmy, it's really good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. Oh, no, <laughs> our email. Uh, so we have our email inbox here. The first one is from Lucy. This one looks like it was a follow-up from Lucy's call. Um, I think on Wednesday, she says, here is the scripture that I was referring to. I found it after the show ended. Okay. First Timothy 5.22. I remember this. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The question we had at Calvary Crafters had to do with the phrase, do not share in the sins of others. Thank you for clarifying, Lucy. I remember this call, and I remember I, I was looking at First Timothy 5. I think you'd mentioned 4 first, and I, and I opened my Bible. I said, no, I think it's in chapter 5, um, but I, I couldn't figure out the exact verse. This is it. Okay, so that phrase, do not share in the sins of others. You know, this last part of Paul's letter to Timothy, if you look at the structure, there really isn't any. It is sort of a smattering of of short bursts of encouragement that really aren't, at least most of them, they're not really interconnected. It's sort of like James's letter, where where there's like a, a shotgun approach to some some guidance and words of encouragement. Well, at the end of Paul's first letter to Timothy, especially there in chapter five, um, that's what's going on here. So when we see in verse 22 here, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others, there, there really is no correlation between the two here. He's simply saying, uh, make sure you don't elect people to uh, titles or positions of authority too quickly before watching them. And also be careful about getting involved with people who are entrenched in sin. Now, context here is important. Remember, Timothy here, being a young pastor, was getting, receiving guidance from the Apostle Paul, his pastor, on how to handle some of the challenges there at his own church. Timothy was a young man, and and one of the things that um, he was challenged with is dealing with um, older people who would looked down upon him because of his youth. Uh, Titus sort of dealing with something similar in Crete, but the people there that he was pastoring were just rough around the edges. They were, Titus, it was dealing with a, a bunch of people there that that were, uh, just say, rough personalities, if you will. Well, to the same degree, Timothy had that issue to deal with. So Paul's encouragement to him uh, is hate number one, at least in this verse, um, be careful about electing people and giving people titles, which 
is great advice when you're starting a church. And and he's saying here, do not share in the sins of others. I love this. Keep yourself pure. The reason why I say I love this is because, you know, this is so practical. Because oftentimes, being with other people, especially people that we know really well, we don't even realize that our flesh is getting involved in their flesh. And I'm not talking about, you know, obvious sin, but things that, you know, conversations among friends can easily turn into gossip. And and someone who really loves Jesus is going to stop and say, well, well, we need to stop this. This is an inappropriate conversation. Well, the truth is, that doesn't happen as often as it should. And so when Timothy, um, when, sorry, when Paul here says to Timothy, keep yourself pure, he's saying, stay away from people that are going to drag you down into sin. Now, the other side of this is you're not going to avoid people who are in the world. Now, when it comes to church here, Paul is telling Timothy, look, you can't exclude people who are like this. You want them to come to church. You want them to hear the word of God so that God can change their hearts. You can't have a church that says, you know, no mean people allowed in here, uh, or, or no sinners allowed in here, then, then nobody would come. All of us would be excluded. But what he's saying here is what Paul would write to the Corinthians in First uh, First Corinthians 15. He, he would say, bad company corrupts good character. And so you're going to have people around you that are not believers. And so, and that's okay because you want them to hear the Bible. But don't share in their sins. Don't participate. Don't be partners in their lifestyles of sin. Don't enable their sin. Keep yourself pure. Lucy, I, I hope that helps. Thank you for your call. That uh, is such a practical word for us because... You know, it's so our, our the sin so easily ensnares us because of our flesh. Let's go back to our phone lines. Ruben from Seguin, you're on the air. God bless Pastor, Pastor Ken. Uh, I hope people don't get tired of me calling, but no, Ruben, uh, it's good to hear your doing, voice. <laughs> that's good. I've been doing some reading, and you know, uh, mainly the Bible, and oh, obviously, uh, I mean. I just have to keep my myself in that in, in the word. Uh, otherwise, you know, we, we can't we can't live we can't live our lives. We have to read the Bible every day. But Absolutely. you know, I read these other books. I mean, I read these other books just to you know see, you know, compare and whatnot. But um, I read this one book, and I don't know if it's in, it's any truth. Uh, it was talking about the Book of Genesis uh, that Genesis gave proof that there was another world before this one. And one of the things that it pointed out was chapter, uh, Genesis 1, verse 11, where God said, uh, and I read, I've read, i read different versions of it, and it all states it differently, but basically the same thing. It just said, let the land produce, and, I'm, and this, is, this isn't verbatim, let the land produce vegetation and seed-bearing plants and whatnot. So I was just wondering, um, in accordance to Revelation, where it says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, um, will that heaven and that new earth be here in this earth? I know that that the Bible does say that this earth is going to be destroyed, and I know that kind of sounds... You know, I'm kind of contradicting myself. If I know that this world's going to be destroyed, and then asking if heaven and earth, according to Revelation, is going to be in this earth, and then was there an earth before uh, this one? Right. So that I hope, hope I hope hope them all made sense. It, it does, Reuben. It does, Reuben. So let me let me answer your question. Uh, Genesis chapter one. In nowhere does it speak of another world. Uh, there were so, there will be some that that 
write books and sound really smart that talk about other worlds. But the the Bible, if you just read it at face value, there's nothing about that, especially in chapter 1 of Genesis and in verse 11 when we talked about the vegetation growing, uh, the land-producing vegetation and seed-bearing plants and trees it has nothing to do with uh, another world being created. It has everything to do with God creating here on earth, just as it says, uh, vegetation and trees. So you have to be careful what it is you read, especially when it comes to the book of Genesis. Our approach has to be, uh, our approach to biblical interpretation has to take the first 11 chapters of Genesis literally. And there will be some that disagree, and that's fine, but the, the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis is critical to solid, a solid hermeneutic because in it is the foundation of every biblical doctrine. And if we can wipe away or uh, allegorize any part of the first 11 chapters, uh, then we run into a lot of danger that undermines um, a lot of the doctrine that Jesus himself said to be true when he referred back to Adam and Eve, when he referred back to the creation account, um, any allegorizing of the creation account then leaves it wide open to all kinds of errant interpretation and including, among those including, uh, this idea that there are other worlds possibly created out there. You know, there are things like uh, there are some really smart people that are big proponents of gap theory. We are not. We don't believe that that's what the Bible talks about. But in order to, in their minds, reconcile um, what they think is science, and they insert um, sort of an immeasurable gap of time in between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1. And in their mind, that sort of allows them to to reconcile science with the Bible, but we don't need to do that. We don't we just read it at face value. God is the one that created. He created in literal days, six days. And um, anything beyond that, um, like you said, you know, these books, you, you have to use the Word of God and what we know about what the Bible says to be the authority that guides how we think about any other sources we read. So interesting reading, but uh, not worth the time to invest, Reuben. Um, so I thank you for your call. Thanks for the question, too. We go back to our questions that have been submitted here. We have one from Sheila. Oh, look at this. Perfect timing. So someone told me that someone told me dinosaurs aren't real because they aren't mentioned in the Bible. Dinosaurs lived a long time ago, but the Bible is more recent. Um, Sheila, if I'm to understand your question here, it's you said somebody told you dinosaurs aren't real based on the fact that they're not mentioned in the Bible. and So we have to be careful. The first thing I would say is you, you don't want to use... Uh, dinosaurs or any other thing to establish some type of um, uh, litmus test, a a measuring rod to determine whether or not the Bible is true. Um, And to answer your question, the Bible, though, doesn't go into a lot of details about you know, dinosaurs or big creatures, there definitely are some things mentioned in the scriptures that could be referring to dinosaurs. Now, we don't need that to be, uh, we don't need the Bible to be a science book. So we're not going to expect a whole bunch of, um, you know, archaeology and paleontology in the Bible. But there are things like the behemoth mentioned by Job in the 40th chapter. There are you know, the Leviathans and the sea creatures and 
what an unfortunate translation, the word dragon there is included in some older ones, and that's there are no dragons. But the idea, though, is that people observed large creatures, and even if the Bible doesn't go into great detail about them, uh, God does that simply because he doesn't say this is information that we really need to know. However, Psalms, Job, Amos, Isaiah, uh, there are references to um, creatures that could be described as dinosaurs. Now, some would argue and say, well, how do you know they're not talking about elephants or hippopotamuses? Or, well, because one of the words, the one that Job uses in chapter 40 for behemoth is, is not the word that you would use to describe any kind of elephant or big creature. In fact, what he says about this giant creature is that the tail of this creature is, uh, is a, the size of a cedar tree. Um, so that's, that's definitely not a, a, an elephant or a, a hippo because they have tiny tails. <laughs> anyway, Sheila, thank you for your question. You can hear the music, guys. That means we are wrapping up the first half of the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron today. As I have been this whole week, you can keep him in your prayers he is on the road to recovery, feeling better, a little bit better each day. And so he misses the radio listening audience very much. The plan is for him to be back as soon as he feels better. In the meantime, our show continues. We're here to take your questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life. And for that, uh, I'll provide you a uh, phone numbers, 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. Uh, the toll-free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way, is questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app. You can use the KSLR mobile app to call into the station. Either way, we provide all these things to make it easier for you, especially if you're driving on the road. I know some of you listen on the second half because you're just getting off work. Welcome to the show. The show will continue usual, taking your questions. So let me go right to our email inbox. We have a few that were submitted this first one is actually from our mobile app, and it, it's from Pablo. It says, why do Catholics say to confess your sin to a priest? They say it's not scriptural to confess your sins to Christ. Uh, you know, Pablo, your, your Catholic friend is wrong. Uh, in fact, it's the, the other way around. Uh, the Bible only describes repentance and repenting of our sin to Jesus. There's never anyone or any um, biblical example uh, in the New Testament where Jesus would or anybody would say, go and repent to the priest. It's because Jesus is the one who died for our sin, and all of the verses that describe confession of sin all point to Jesus. First John chapter 1 is sort of like the, the Christian bar of soap, right? Verse 9, it's, it says, If we confess our sin, He, this is God, He is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins. So it's not the priest that is faithful. It is Jesus that is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is important because 
when your question asks, well, well, then why do uh, the Catholics say that we need to go to a priest? And that's simply because of tradition. It's because of tradition. And uh, like I'd mentioned this week on the show, I know that because in our household growing up, as a child, that's what we were taught. We would go to Catholic Church, go into the confessional and do the things. And, you know, in, and it would feel good because I, after confessing all these things, he would give me instructions on what to do and praying some prayers and going out. And I could feel better because I did that. But that type of penance is not biblical. What the Bible says is that we are to repent of our sins to Jesus. We confess our sins to the Lord all throughout Scripture. That's what we see. Even in the Old Testament, when there were priests, the psalmist would write, I will confess my sins to the Lord. There's never any um, mandate to go see a man or be absolved of your sins by a person. Now, when someone refers to James and what James would say about confessing our sins to one another. What he's talking about here is not for the purpose of um, being forgiven. Uh, we, We go to one another, confess our sins to one another so that we can pray for one another. If there's somebody that we've offended, we go and confess to them. Obviously, we do that, though, after we've gotten our hearts right with the Lord. So it, this, there isn't any uh, forgiveness of sin that comes through seeing a man or praying to a man. Now, why do they do that? Again, this is because of religion. This is what religion teaches us. So, Pablo, uh, thank you for your question. Uh, it's a very important one. Very important one. Uh, let's go back to our email inbox. This one is from Anonymous. And Anonymous says, hello, every year I have a neighborhood Christmas party. We have new neighbors and they are a married uh, by man's law, not Jesus's law. They are a a gay couple. Should I invite them? They know how much I love Jesus, but I've never spoken to them specifically about their lifestyle. Some guidance would be appreciated. I know that they are the object of God's affection, but I don't but I don't want them to think that I'm okay with their lifestyle by inviting them into my home. I'd appreciate any biblical counsel you can provide. Anonymous, this is a great question. A timely question, too, because like you said, this is the, the, the holiday season. People are having parties. And, and in these get-togethers, we want to honor the Lord. And so when we honor the Lord, we honor the Lord by making sure our parties are places where people can go and hear about Jesus. Um, If you're praying and you're led by the Lord to invite people to your house so that they can hear about Jesus, uh, I wouldn't see a problem with that. Again, if this is something that the Lord put on your heart to do. We want people to hear about the Lord. And if your house is going to be a place where there's going to be other believers who are going to talk about Jesus, well, we want people to get saved. Now, if it turns out that that isn't a place where they're, they want to be, well, then they'll decide if they want to stay or not and continue hearing about Jesus. But you let your house function as it normally does, a place where Jesus is front and center in every conversation and everything that you do, um, and and you use it as an opportunity to be a light to your neighbors. And, and so, uh, you know, during this holiday season, this is the way we Christians need to think, because uh, we're not inviting them, we're not inviting people to our house so that uh, necessarily approving of every single thing that they do, but at the same time, uh, cognizant of the fact that this is one of the opportunities, few and rare opportunities, where people who normally wouldn't come over might consider coming over. And if that's the case, you may have the chance to speak to them about Jesus that you normally wouldn't. And so I would say taking advantage of that would be a good thing. Again, this is something that you and your house, people, you and your 
your spouse pray together in your family are in one accord, but a godly family is such an attractive thing. And it's attractive to people who are believers because they're encouraged. But a godly family is also an attractive thing to people who are not believers. This is exactly what Titus talks or Paul talks about in Titus chapter 2. A little bit of a different context, but it's the same when Paul is writing to uh, slaves or employees working with their employers. He's saying, hey, you slaves... Uh, make sure you obey your superiors, your masters, and you do what your bosses tell you to do. Same thing when it comes to your workplace. Why? Because through your obedience, they'll see Jesus in you. They'll be drawn to you. Paul says that the, the, the obedience to the teaching of God's word becomes attractive. It becomes attractive. People are drawn to you because of the, of, Jesus that they see in you. And that's always a good thing. So Anonymous, I I hope that helps. Um, Thank you for your question. In fact, let me, on a side note, take this opportunity to uh, elaborate a little bit about this because, again, I mentioned it's the holiday season. These are things that we're dealing with right now. Uh, We want to make sure that uh, when we look at people, right, in this in this uh, last question, it was about a, a gay couple. Uh, we want to make sure that we look at people the way Jesus does. And what I mean by that is this. If you have a, a gay couple, uh, the, the fact that they, uh, e- even if they're not married or they're married, it doesn't matter for this point, but they are people who are lost in the same way that you would maybe have uh, a heterosexual couple also living in sin. They're equally lost. I understand because of our current climate and our culture and our society, especially within the church, there are some who, for some unbiblical reason, have this mindset that people who are of the homosexual lifestyle are are, are broken, or or we can't get near them, or we have to be careful because we can't be friends with them. That's absolutely unbiblical. There are only two kinds of people. There are the saved and the unsaved. And if we are offended or uh, repulsed by people who are unsaved, no matter what their sin is, then we no longer are effective in ministering to them. If we look at people who are of the LGBT lifestyle in a way that is different than the way Jesus would look at them, then then we have to examine ourselves and see if we're if our bias is affecting or limiting our ability to minister to people. And I think this is very important because uh, we have, you know, we'll have um, kids, adult children that may be in an ungodly relationship, living together with their boyfriend and girlfriend, and say, well, you know what, at least they like a guy, and at least it's not another girl, or, but they're in sin, and we're enabling that and approving it. And this is one of the most ungodly things, one of the most ungodliest of things that I see uh, professing Christians tolerate. And they'll, they'll be so quick to look at um, other people who are maybe LGBT and think that they're just in a completely different category of sin. That's not the way God looks at people. So we have to make sure we have to make sure that we look at people always with the same eyes that Jesus does. Remember when Paul would write to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, when he was right before that passage in chapter 5 when he says that we are a brand new creation in Christ. The old is gone and, and the new has come. Uh, right before that, he says, well, 
we used to look at people from a worldly perspective, but we no longer do that. Well, guess what the worldly perspective is? The worldly perspective is looking at people horizontally. You're categorizing them in in in, in classes uh, and and sort of ranking or rating their sin. To those that are really really bad, we can't associate with them. Make sure you stay away. And to those that are not so bad, well, it's okay. That's you know we all sin. That's a worldly perspective. Um, so anonymous, thank you for your. Your question, and I hope you have a good Christmas party. <laughs> Let me go to this another anonymous question. I think this one was submitted a couple days ago. I couldn't get to it. A close family member of mine has gotten such a hard heart about the church, the Bible, and Christians. Anytime something remotely Christian or Bible comes up, she immediately responds with quick cutting and hurtful comments. It's obvious she's doing that out of self-preservation to avoid the conversation continuing. I pray nonstop for her salvation and for opportunities to open up to share Jesus with her. And this specific family member's heart, hard heart is one of the drivers for why I lean into Jesus myself and live a life without compromise. One day I want her to follow me as I follow Jesus. How can I talk to her about Jesus? Well, Anonymous, um, we all have family members like this. And what we need to do is learn how to deal with them in a way that honors the Lord. But at the same time, we're not going to engage with them into you know, debates and arguments because there's no value to that either. So how do you talk to this person about Jesus, someone who's been hurt by the church, someone who's gotten a hard heart about things that have happened in the past, but uh, some other Christians have told them or some things about the Bible. All these symptoms are indicative of a heart that isn't right. So the words that come out of their mouth, the 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 actions that they that they take, and and then the opinions that they form, all these things, uh, we shouldn't be surprised by them, and nor should we pay attention to them. What we do is look for opportunities to get right to the root cause and to talk about the heart. Whenever somebody says that. They have, uh, they're mad at the church. They can't believe in God because of something that anybody else does. Our first inclination is usually to find out, okay, who said what to you and under what context was it said? Is it possible that you misunderstood them or, or is it possible that you were listening to a false teacher or something like that? And all that is irrelevant because there's always going to be something else that you'll have to explain. You're like peeling an onion. You're going layer after layer, and then all of a sudden the conversation ends up being about something other than Jesus. What we do, Anonymous, is acknowledge that there's pain there. Why that pain is there or what caused it, you you have no insight into that. But you can say there is a person who can identify with your pain. There is someone who understands everything that you've suffered, and his name is Jesus Christ. Ignore the fact that there are people that claim to know Jesus that have misrepresented them in your life. Why they did that uh, doesn't matter. What they did, it doesn't matter. When Jesus died on the cross... He died for their sin, but it's up to them if they want to repent. But he died for yours. And this is where you make it real personal, Anonymous. You say, but what are you going to do with your sin? Not them. Let God deal with them. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says that there's nothing that's going to go, uh, no evil that's done that's going to go unpunished. 
So let God deal with the, them. You, you turn the attention back to their own hearts and say, well, in your own life, you have sinned. How are you going to account for that sin? The Bible says that there's only one way for our sin to be forgiven, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to let go of all that pain, Jesus will take it away, and he'll heal your heart. But he won't do it by forcing himself upon you. You've got to surrender your life to him. That's the only conversation to have, especially when there's a history of, of And people are really detail-oriented when it comes to all of the offenses done towards them. They'll remember what this person said, what year they said it, what, what this church said, and, and your job isn't to answer or take account for each one of those things. You take them and you point them to Jesus and you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to their heart. If they're willing, then their hearts will soften. And they'll listen to what the Spirit is saying to them. If they're not willing to listen, then you stop talking. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. That Anonymous, uh, like I said at the beginning of this question, we all have people like that in our lives, and they should be the object of our prayers. Uh, Last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll move on. Uh, One of the things I personally think of when dealing with people like that, especially if they're family members, is is I remember when I was in their same shoes. Circumstances might be different. The details of what happened are different. But I remember being the person that was so hard-hearted, I really wouldn't... I wanted to argue and fight with people all the time. Uh... But when, I, when I'm on this side now with Jesus talking to them, the first thing the Lord always reminds me of is, you are worse than they are. You are far worse. And look what the Lord has done in your life. So if he can do that with your hard heart, think about how much more he can minister to theirs. And I'm telling you, Anonymous, it frees me up because I'm no longer focusing on the little things, the, the body language, the, the facial expressions, the tone of their voice, the things that would normally irritate me and offend me. I'm not looking at those things because I'm thinking, Lord, you want to reach this person. So yes, they were far worse. Uh, I was far worse than they are. Uh, thanks for your question. Okay, let's move on. John asks... John asks, in Scripture, it says that we should anoint people with oil and lay hands on them for healing. What is the oil for and why oil? Okay, so two things about this. Uh, Yes, the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, use oil uh, to anoint, uh, to even provide hygiene and, and healing. What you want to remember, this is the first thing, is that oil is, in the Bible, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The oil isn't magic. The oil isn't blessed by somebody. The oil doesn't have, um, you know, uh, properties to it that, that make it super spiritual. It is just oil, but because of the culture of the Old Testament, it would be a common thing that they would use. This is the second thing that was practical for for hygiene and for healing. And so the oil would be symbolic of healing. There's no magic in it, but it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. James would write, anybody sick, call for the elders and they should pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So yes, we we lay hands on people and ask for God to heal them. We'll anoint them with oil, but there's no special uh, magic or special property in the oil itself. Okay, let's go back to our email. Through the mobile app, we have uh, something from Carlos G. Just wanted to request prayer. 
request a prayer request. I'm taking a certification exam tomorrow for my work and could use all the help I can get. Thank you. This is from Carlos G. Well, Carlos, you now have thousands of people listening to your prayer request. And so if you can remember, guys, uh, Carlos G. asks if we could keep him in prayer for a very important test that he's taking. And, you know, I love this because these things are important. They're important to us, and because they're important to us, they're important to the Lord. And he cares for the details of our life, the bigger things and sometimes the littler things. But in this case, if you can remember to keep Carlos in your prayers, I would appreciate it, and he would greatly appreciate it. He's got an exam tomorrow for work. Uh, we we don't have time for any more calls and questions. Uh, uh, calls on the air. I, I I don't have time for that one, and so I'll I'll leave it. Yeah. Um, let me let me comment on uh, Friday night here at Calvary Chapel. A reminder: it's our New Testament study night. So Pastor Ron is still not able to uh, teach without. Uh, being distracted and still building up strength. So please keep him in your prayers. Um, the goal is to have him back on Sunday. It's Communion Sunday, and you know Pastor Ron does not want to miss Communion Sunday. So keep that in your prayers. But tonight we have Pastor Ed Rodriguez teaching out of Romans. Uh, come join us 7 o'clock. Pastor's class that's normally scheduled for tomorrow. If you uh, are somebody that joins in our pastor's class, it is canceled for tomorrow. And so please, uh, no pastor's class tomorrow. There is, however, prayer, 9.30 tomorrow, if you want to join us for corporate prayer here at Calvary Chapel. Thank you for joining me this week. This is the Word of Standard for Life. We'll see you next Monday. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.